Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. What a great presence of the Lord that is here today. It's so incredible to come into his presence each and every service and experience something different, something new. It doesn't have to be the same thing week after week. He is the master creator, so he can create a new experience for you here this morning. Amen. I'm so thankful for that. And if you would, I'm going to go into the word of the Lord this morning. It's good to see you all again, and, and it's good to see Pastor and Sister Boyd back. Amen. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. James chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. James says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The ESV version puts it this way, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. By the help of the Lord, I want to speak to us for a few moments on this thought today, testing your faith, testing your faith. Would you lift your hands and your voices with me? Let's just ask that the Lord would speak to us through his word. Jesus, we thank you for the songs that have been sung, those that have stepped forth in faith to get prayed for. God, we're thankful for your presence that's here in a powerful and mighty way. And we ask right now that you would continue to move in this place. Let your word be perfect. God, let it penetrate our hearts and let it elevate our faith to a new and higher level. And we'll give you praise and glory. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, God bless you. You can be seated. Testing your faith. The United States Navy Sea, Air, and Land Teams, commonly known as the Navy SEALs, are the U.S. Navy's primary special forces unit as well as part of the Naval Special Warfare Command. The Navy SEALs were created by John F. Kennedy in 1962 for a more surgical and secretive mission approach from the sea, air, or the land. The Navy SEALs are probably America's most fearsome force. When you consider it, when you look at our military forces, Navy SEALs are usually at the top of the list. But each individual's rise to the top does not come without a cost first. The Navy SEAL's training is so grueling that participants rarely pass the test. As a matter of fact, enlisted SEAL attrition, that, that rate is usually between 73 to 75% of SEAL attrition. That means 73 or 75% typically drop out of the training. This is according to the Navy's own statistics. 
As I was reading about the history of the Navy SEALs, the, it's interesting to, to note that the, the toughest test, the hardest test for a SEAL happens during the fourth week of training. As a matter of fact, they call it Hell Week is what they call it. This is when students train for five days and five nights solid with a maximum total of four hours of sleep through five days and five nights, four hours of sleep. This intense week begins at sundown on Sunday and ends at the end of the following Friday. And during this week, trainees get four meals a day, sometimes MREs, which is a military-type ration, but usually hot meals of unlimited quantities because eating hot food is a substitute for being warm and dry. It gives a needed psychological boost to tired trainees, many of whom are nearly sleeping while they eat. If you've ever seen any of the documentary footage, often they'll bring these seals in after a grueling workout in the cold. They're soaking wet, they're tired, and you'll see them sitting there trying to eat, and they're falling asleep in their plate of food. Then they'll take them in and make them do a math test. It's an incredible training. Pretty much every evolution during this fourth and most difficult week involves the team together carrying their boats, inflatable rubber zodiacs over their heads through the ocean, timed exercises, runs, and crawling through mudflats. These are all interspersed throughout the five and a half days. The largest number of trainees drop out during this fourth and most trying week. But you see, this extreme testing of human limits is crucial to a SEAL's success. This extreme testing, this physical endurance is crucial as to whether or not this team will be successful when they go into battle. SEALs on missions must be able to operate efficiently, oblivious to sub-zero temperatures and their own physical discomfort. Their lives, as well as the lives of others, depend on them coming through this test and this training. It's this time of trial by fire, this fourth week, that ultimately prepares them to fight in an actual battle, the fight that looms ahead, and pushes them to perseverance. It's a testing, it's a grueling process, but it's a necessary process if they want to get to where they need to be. If they want to complete the training and come out on top and and be the, the fighting force that we depend on for our freedom, it's important that they make it through this grueling and powerful test. James chapter 1, in a spiritual sense, talks about a grueling and a powerful test. James said, the testing of your faith, that's what produces patience or steadfastness. Faith is tested through trials, not produced by trials. Trials reveal in us what faith we have. The Bible says that each one of us are given a measure of faith. So all of us have some form or some level of faith. It's these trials that reveal in us where that faith is. This is how our faith becomes evident to us as well as those around us. Trials don't produce faith, but when trials are received with faith in God, it produces patience. It produces perseverance. 
This is not a given, however, because we can receive trials with unbelief. We can receive trial and tribulation with complaining. And this, in turn, can produce bitterness and discouragement. We have several options when we go through situations. We have several reactions that we could have. We could receive it with faith in God, or we could receive it with frustration and complaining. Faith in God will ultimately result in miracles, God moving in our lives and God doing something special. But receiving, receiving a trial with complaining can produce bitterness. It can produce frustration. It can affect our prayer life, our worship life. But we are to, as James said, let patience or let steadfastness have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. During a trial, patient endurance is the mark of a person who is perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I believe, and it's evident here today by our response during a call to prayer, but there are some here among us experiencing a time of trial. You find yourself in the middle of stress and turmoil, and you're trying to hold on until your breakthrough, until your healing, until God moves and delivers your family. Maybe it's not a physical trial or a sickness, but it's an attack on the mind and, and fighting depression and darkness, or maybe even a temptation, whatever it is. Many of us here today find ourselves in that time of trial and testing of our faith. But if we will be patient with his process, God will direct us miraculously to our answer. You will get what you have been praying for. We will receive an answer if we will put our trust in his process and believe him for an answer. Are you thankful for that this morning? I'm here to declare that our miracle is just on the other side of this necessary, necessary time of trial. We have to just keep the faith in him and in his process. John chapter 9 tells us of an interesting occurrence, an, an interesting story. We read of a blind man's miraculous encounter with Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 9, as Jesus was leaving the temple with his disciples, passing by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. As he was leaving the temple, somebody there with a need caught the eye of Jesus. Now this is interesting because unlike other examples such as blind Bartimaeus, this particular man did not scream for Jesus' attention. John says that Jesus saw this man first. Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus spotted you where you were? The scripture was quoted this morning, but the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we earned it, thank goodness. He didn't wait until we had the stamp of approval, but he saw us first, and he decided to come and to give his life. 1 John 4.19 says, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. When Jesus' disciples saw this man in the condition of blindness, as Jesus' attention leaving the temple turned to this blind man, and he was, as I mentioned at the outset, moved with compassion. He saw this man, and Jesus desired to do something for him. As the disciples saw that Jesus' attention was turned here, they also turned their attention to this blind man. 
And they asked this question in John chapter 9, verse 2. They said, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. In other words, what did he do to deserve this, Jesus? Why is he in this condition? It's interesting to read this account because we are all guilty at some point of judging the needy. I believe it's in our human, not our spiritual nature to, in some cases, judge the needy in the situation they're at. We try and find a reason or blame as to why someone came to be in that place of need and brokenness. Because humans, we base everything on performance. Well, they must deserve this. I wonder what they did. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Man, they're really going through it. They're sick. I wonder what they did to deserve this. We should not be so analytical when we look at a problem, when we look at a need in the presence of Almighty God. You see, here were the disciples in the presence of the one who they had seen heal, who they had seen do powerful and miraculous things, but they begin to question why this person was in their condition. When we come into God's house, when we're gathered together, when my brother or my sister has a need, it should not be in my position to say, I wonder what they did to deserve this. We shouldn't be that analytical. We shouldn't try to analyze the situation in the presence of Almighty God. We shouldn't bog our minds down with the hows and the whys and the wheres of life's problems when we're in his presence. That type of thinking could stifle God's miraculous work so we need, I, I propose, we need faith in those situations. When we see a brother or a sister that's hurting, somebody that's in need of healing, somebody that's in need of deliverance, we ought to not ask why did they get this way, but we ought to say, hey, I believe who can fix them. I believe God can do something miraculous, and this is an opportunity for him. We need faith in those situations. So Jesus Here's this question by the disciples. Why is he in this condition? And in John 9, verse 3, Jesus answered, he says, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything in his life to deserve this. But he says, But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. In other words, he didn't do anything to deserve this, but he's been placed in this position so that I could have an opportunity, so that the Spirit of God would have an opportunity to work in this man's life. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, because the night cometh when no man can work. Jesus explained that this man's blindness, his unfortunate condition, his terrible situation was in the plan of God all along. Imagine that. Imagine that this uncomfortable spot this poor man was in was in the plan of God all along. You know, some of us give the devil credit for our bad days. Some of us give the devil credit when our, our body's hurting or when we're in a bad place financially and everything's going wrong in our family. But what if it was God's purpose? I backed into a pole on Monday. And for a moment, for a brief moment, my car's messed up. It's total. I thought, devil, oh, you're not going to get the glory out of this. But then I thought, well, what if God had me do this, you know? What if he just grabbed that car and backed it right into the pole, you know? 
he could have done it, right? But often we give the devil a little too much credit. But sometimes our situations have been tailor-made for our success. They have been created specifically so that God could work in us. Instead of analyzing and focusing on the man as a theology problem, Jesus saw the man as an opportunity to work the works of God. John 9, 6 and 7 says, When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. Jesus, after making his point to these disciples, looks to the blind man and does something extraordinary. He spat on the ground. He mixed it up. He made a bit of clay and he anointed the man's eyes with the clay. After anointing the blind man's eyes with the clay, he instructs this man in verse 7 to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which by interpretation is sin. So the blind man, out of faith, trusting, went his way, therefore, washed. And the Bible says, miraculously, this man, blind from birth, came again seeing. His blinded eyes open, seeing for the first time in his life. My, how excited he must have been. How powerful a sight this was to see someone who had never seen the sky or seen the color of the trees all of a sudden come again and find his way seeing. He received his miracle. God's glory was manifested in this man. But wait, let's back up just a minute. There was a path between his blindness. There was a path between his situation and his miracle. There was a necessary testing of his faith that had to happen first before he could receive his answer. Immediately, if you'll consider this with me, if if you'll help me look at this story a little bit closer. Immediately upon coming in contact with Jesus, instead of Jesus speaking the word of faith over this man and saying, eyes open and see, instead of Jesus just placing his hand on his head and healing him and his eyes opening, this man, who is already blind, who already has to feel his way around town, who stumbles, who is stepped on, who by society is not respected. This man, upon coming in contact with the one who could heal him with the snap of his fingers or a spoken word, this man receives a mud pie to the face. Think about it. Jesus God manifested in the flesh, the one who could bring a miracle to this man's life, spits in the dirt, makes mud, and rubs it in his already blinded eyes. Now, how many of us would say, I appreciate it, thank you, but this is, this is a little much. Now, I've seen some crazy, I grew up in church, I've seen some people do crazy things in church. Nothing really surprises me especially in the age of the internet, you can find all sorts of crazy church videos online. I haven't seen one yet where somebody's just spitting in somebody's eyes and rubbing spit all in their face. Now, we don't even, most of us don't like to get our heads all oily. 
we come up here and get prayed for, get the oil on us, and we thank the Lord for it, and then we go to the bathroom and <laughs> wash it off, right? Now, oil is one thing, but spit's another thing. Getting the mud pie to the face is another thing. But as this man stood there blind, as he is pointed out and he is picked up by Jesus, as Jesus reaches down in the mud and the clay and he spits and he mixes it up and places it in his face, this man does not complain. We don't read that he backs up and, what are you doing? Whoa, whoa, whoa. But there seemed to be a steadfastness in the heart of this man as he received what was happening with faith. You see, he was being put to the test, but he didn't waver. He didn't waver. As he received mud in the eyes, as he was touched in a way that he wasn't expecting, he didn't waver. He didn't run away. He didn't reject what Jesus was doing and say, this is too much. I've already gone through enough to this point. Why are you putting me through this? But as he stood there, he received it with faith. But in the, if that wasn't enough, if receiving a mud pie to the eyes wasn't enough, Jesus then instructs him. You see, I, I know you can't see already, and I know I've made it even worse with a spittle and mud in the face, but he says, I want you to go and to wash in the pool of Siloam, which by interpretation is sin. Mud pie to the face. Now I want you to stumble. Go find your way to this pool and wash your face off. As I looked into this, it's interesting to look at the location of the pool of Siloam. You see, at this time, there were five major pools of water found in Jerusalem. There was the pool of Israel. Now, when you look at where this event is taking place, the Bible says Jesus just walked out of the temple, and he meets this guy right here, this, this blind man. About one and a half miles away was the pool of Israel. About one and a half miles approximately from where this event is taking place. That's pool number one. Pool number two is the Pool of Bethesda. We've read about the Pool of Bethesda. This was about two miles away. Then there's the Gihon Spring, which is about two and a half miles away. There's the Towers Pool, which is near Herod's Palace. This was four miles away. Then there was the Pool of Siloam, where this man was sent. If calculations are correct, it was about five miles away from where this man was located. Five miles away, located in the lower city, in the lower city. Now, Jesus could have said, there's a pool about a mile away. I want you to go over there and wash there. That would, to me, made more sense. We don't want you to go out of your way, right? We don't want you to, we don't want you to take a detour. You might not have enough gas. So we'll, 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 we'll get you to the next best thing. I mean, if it's not a mile and a half away, maybe at least two miles, maybe at least two miles away. But no, Jesus, after putting mud in this guy's face, he didn't say, I want you to go one mile, two miles, three miles. No, I want you to stumble and walk five miles and wash your face off. The blind man with the spit and mud in his eyes was directed to travel this distance through the lower city. 
The majority of this journey would also take him, if we read through the Teropian Valley, this was, if we look at the history there, was a valley that the city used to dump their debris, their trash, and their rot. It was a tough and arduous journey. It was a rigid place filled with broken pottery, vessels, and rot. It was a place where the trash was of disgust and despair, filled with dangerous, sharp edges. So he can already not see. He can already not see on his own, but now he's expected to walk with mud in his face through this difficult valley, through this valley that nobody, no self-respecting person would walk through, and to go five miles and to wash his face. But you see, the blind man already in this situation, he had to be steadfast enough in his faith, in the words of Jesus, to stumble his way to his answer. He had to be desperate enough to endure this trial of his faith, this testing of his faith until the very end. And as he made his way to the pool, there were probably thoughts, I would imagine, of giving up. Along the journey of five miles to think, maybe this is ridiculous. Maybe I didn't exactly hear him correctly. Maybe he's not who I thought he was. But there was a steadfastness in him that said, it doesn't matter what I'm going through It doesn't matter who's laughing at me along the way. It doesn't matter what doubt creeps into my mind and what tries to deter me. I'm going to keep walking. I may stumble a little bit on the way, but I'm going to keep going. I may cut myself a little bit through this rigid valley, but I'm going to keep going. The mud on my face may be uncomfortable, but I'm going to keep stumbling my way. Why? Because I received a word from Jesus. I received a word from the one that I know can heal. He pressed, he walked, he stumbled until the Bible says that he ultimately received his sight. He ultimately received his promise. James 1 and 3 says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. I would imagine there are some of us here that started going through a trial but then During the process, you feel like it got worse and worse and worse. And you think, how can I go through this? And then I, you know, I prayed, but then I'm now going through this. And you feel like in a spiritual sense, you've received a little mud to the face. You feel like God is maybe asking you to go a little further than what you think you can go. But in the middle of our trial, in the middle of our circumstance, if we could understand that The testing of our faith is necessary to receive our miracle. When we receive it with faith in him, not with complaining, not with doubt, but when we persevere, when we have steadfastness, when we say, no matter what, I'm going to trust your word, Jesus. No matter what, I'm going to hang in there. No matter what, I'm going to stay faithful to church. No matter what, I'm going to stay faithful to prayer. No matter what, I'm still going to read your word. I'm still going to fast. I'm still going to consecrate. I'm still going to get in my prayer closet. I may not feel like it. This may be the 150th time I've prayed about this. And I'm still stumbling. I'm still walking. And I'm still trying to reach my answer. But if we'll receive it with faith, 
It will understand. I may not be comfortable in the moment, but it's this testing. It's this molding. It's this shaping that's necessary for my miracle. If we'll receive it like that, I proclaim to you, we'll receive our answer. God will do the miraculous. God will bring healing to your body. God will save your family. God will pull the chains of addiction off of you and out of your mind. But we've got to understand that the process is necessary. Knowing this, the trying, the testing of our faith worketh patience. It brings endurance. It will bring us to our answer. Do we need an answer? Yes, I need an answer. Do we need a more perfect faith to make it to that answer? Yes, then we need some trial. We need some trial. That doesn't make a shout, does it? We need some trial because that trial will mold us and it will shape us into perfect patience and steadfastness. And I'm getting ready to close here this morning. Paul warned us in Ephesians 6 that our battle that we face is not against flesh and blood, but rather spiritual wickedness in high places. So in a battle this serious, in a battle this intense, we have to be well equipped. Ephesians 6, 12 through 18, a familiar passage of Scripture Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, he said, taking what? The shield of faith. The shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. He said, you've got to take the shield of faith in these battles. When the enemy tries to speak to you and discourage you, you've got to have that shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, every attack to withstand it. But it's interesting that Paul would use this analogy. He would use these examples of physical combat, this armor that they would use during this time. You see, armor, when you consider it, goes through a refining process. Armor, in order to be effective, has to be bent. It has to be shapen. Above all, the Bible said, take the shield of faith. But in the natural sense, Paul's using analogy here so we can understand, you know, compare the natural to the spiritual. There's a process in the natural sense to constructing a shield. There's a stress that the material has to go through, that are bound together. There's a, uh, there's a process that has to be bent and, and, and molded and heated up, and, and there's a breaking and a binding together that takes place in order for a shield to be effective. That's what makes faith. In the natural sense, that's what makes a shield so powerful and effective. But in a spiritual sense, 
That's the same. That's what makes faith so powerful. It's the process. It's the trial. It's the bending. It's the molding. It's the shaping process that it must endure before faith can become perfect, before it can enter into perfection, into perseverance and steadfastness. If you'll stand with me this morning. You may be in a test today, but understand, if we could look at it through a different lens, if we could understand the process, it's that test that's working steadfastness. It's that test that's working patience. It's causing you to become steadfast. It will lead you to your answer. Throughout scripture, there's different examples when we read of, we're talking about Mary and Martha this morning and and Lazarus' brother who passed away. Mary and Martha were frustrated and they were angry and said, if you had only been here, then our brother would be alive. But we read that Jesus said this was for their sakes so that the works of God could be manifest in this situation so that he could work a miracle. When we read about him multiplying the fishes and the loaves, it was Jesus who first posed the question. I've always found this interesting. How are we going to feed all these people? If he hadn't asked the question, they may not have worried about it. They could have all just went home and and worried about dinner on their own time. But Jesus posed the question, how are we going to feed everybody here? Because the Bible says he himself knew what he would do. Jesus placed them with that burden. He put that question in their minds so that he could prove himself to them. There are trials that we're in at the moment that have been tailor-made for us, that he has put us in so that he can perfect our faith so that we will become steadfast and so that we will make our way to our miracle. So I don't know what part of the journey you're on today, where at in the trial you are, in the perfecting of your faith, but I believe that God wants to encourage somebody here this morning, wherever you're at in your life, whatever you're going through. And as we close today, I would like to invite you, if you are If you're like that blind man and you're just stumbling your way along and you're trying to find your way to your answer, I believe God wants to encourage you today. He wants to lift you up. So I'd like to invite you, whatever you're going through, if you feel comfortable, you'd like to come up and pray. If you want to stand where you're at and pray. Let's just look at our situation a little different. Allow us to realize that it's the testing that we're going through that has been made for our success. It's been made so that we can receive our miracle. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.